Welcome to another episode of our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Visit our website for complete collections of your favorite old-time radio series. Remember to follow us so you won't miss new releases from SolvedMystery.com. From the Longhorn Radio Network, Adventure and Mystery, classic series from radio's golden past. in the secrets of Scotland Yard. How do you do? This is Ty Brook. You want to make some money? Do you in these days of austerity want those little luxuries that mean so much? You want to be the first to pay for a round of drinks and give the barman a good tip as well? Or do you want to stand on the sidelines and able to do a thing for want of cash? I think I know your answer. Well, if you really do want to make some money, you must procure some plaster of Paris, solder, tin, bismuth, pewter, and a jam jar. I'm afraid you must also have a little capital. It takes money to make money. Not much capital, say uh, half a dollar. You won't need anything else. Go ahead and make as much money as you need for the day. That's good, don't you think? Also, I feel that you couldn't strictly be asked to pay income tax. You could point out that you'd made the money yourself and that the mint had not been troubled. On the other hand, I must warn you that you stand a risk of being sent to prison for life. In the old days, the penalty was death. shilling pieces in great number to be strangled unto death and then burnt up a stake. Here are ye, here are ye, here Yes, Barbara Spencer in 1721 was the first person ever executed for counterfeiting. By the way, perhaps you'll be surprised to hear there's hardly one counterfeiting case in police records in which a woman is not involved. Isn't that so, Inspector? That's right, Mr. Brooke. Women always seem to be chosen as agents for the coiners. Ah, yes. Agents. Perhaps I should explain to listeners that fake money usually goes through four stages in its criminal career. Firstly, it is coined by its maker. The coiner gives it to his agent or go-between. She, for it's generally a she, sells it to the buyer. And he, in turn, employs a fourth person to pass the coin off as currency. Coiner, agent, buyer, and passer. In legal phraseology, the passer is the one who utters the counterfeit. Uttering in this connection meaning to use as currency a forged or altered instrument or coin, knowing it to be forged. The passer very rarely knows who the coiner of the fake money is. With a respectable business as a front to his activities, the coiner carries on his criminal ventures in secret and well-hidden places and is not easily discovered. But he doesn't always escape the law. Now take the case of Thomas Craven, alias Cooper, alias Tom the Tailor, who carried on his trade in Bethnal Green, a suburb of London. In the same street, there was a tobacconist shop. It was here that something occurred one day that was eventually to put Tom the Tailor in prison. Good morning, sir. Oh, good morning. Uh, two ounces of green gem tobacco, please. Two ounces, sir? Here you are. Uh, thank you. 
How much is that? Three shillings, please, sir. Let's see. Uh, two, three. There you are. Uh, just a moment, sir. This is a bad thorn. Is it really? <laughs> I say you're quite right. I wonder who gave me that. Anyhow, uh, here's another. That, that's a good one. Yes, sir. That's a good one. Good day, sir. Good day. Freddy. Freddy. Yes, sir? Marty, stop a few minutes, will you? A bloke's just tried to pass off a dead coin on me for the second time this week. This time I'm going to follow him. And I'll tell the whole story to the first police I see. Before that, good luck, sir. I say, constable. Yes, sir. My name's Black. Uh, that's my tobacconist shop across the way. Mm -hmm. You see that guy in the, uh, the grey suit looking in that window over there? Yes. There. See? He's been joined by a woman. Really? Yes? Well, twice this week he's tried to pass off a dud coin on me. I've been following him since he left my shop just now. Hmm, a lot of those floating about nowadays. Yes, but he used the same words each time. I think he's in the racket himself, and he knew it was a dud. Hmm. Oh, well, you may be right. Where's the woman he's talking to? Well, I don't know, huh? Oh. Yeah. Does he look a piece of goods? He's just given him something. Hmm. We've had that up on one or two charges before. Hmm. Wish I was in plain clothes. I'll keep after Let me know if anything happens, will you? Yeah, right, you are. The policeman followed the young lady. She went into Tom the tailor's shop. When she reappeared a few moments later, she went straight to the street corner and there met another man, to whom she again passed something. This time, the police constable waited no longer, but took her along to the police station. There she was searched. Thirty fake florins were found to be sewn in the hem of her skirt. She was obviously the agent for some counterfeiter. But whom? The police constable, remembering that she'd visited Tom the tailor's shop just before her arrest, decided to give the old chap a call. Tom was a well-known character in the neighborhood and had established himself as likable and kindly. Good morning, Tom. Oh, good morning, officer. Just a moment. I'll, I'll ring for my assistant. Oh, you needn't do that, Tom. I only wanted a few words with you. Well, in case someone else comes in wanting to be served. Hmm. Tom, a young lady came in here about an hour ago. Dressed in blue. Did you serve her? Young lady. Uh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, that'll be Miss Pritchard. She comes to ask whether her father's jacket was ready yet. The father's jacket? Yes, that's... Uh, uh, unfortunately, I hadn't finished the sleeve yet, but uh, why do you ask, officer? Oh, nothing, Tom. Just wanted to know what he was up to. I say, your assistant seems to be a long time answering your bell. Yes, he's a, a lazy scoundrel. Hmm. What am I taking the ground, Tom? Oh, no, obviously not at all. You know the way down. Yes, all right, thanks. Don't let me disturb you. The suspicious police constable went down into the basement. But the scene that met his eyes was exactly what you'd expect to see in the basement of a tailor's shop. Long benches, yards of material, and several cutters at work with scissors and needles. But the constable wasn't satisfied, but he was sure there was something going on in the shop. He turned the matter over and over in his mind, until suddenly he jumped on what he knew must be the answer. The next day, he paid another visit to Tom the tailor. 
Morning, Tom. Oh, good morning, officer. One moment, I'll... Oh, Tom, you won't ring. It's just what I want you to do. You don't mind, do you? Well, uh, why? I, I just want to ring for my assistant, officer, uh, in case some other customer comes in and there's no one to serve. Are you positive that's the reason you want to ring, Tom? What other reason could there be, officer? That's just what I'm going to find out. If you'll stand aside and let me inspect your basement once more... Why, you... No, no, Tom. No foul language, if you please. Let me pass, will you? Yeah. That's right. All right, you fellas. Don't throw anything on. You're caught red-handed. Draw me the police. I never heard the bell. No, you didn't hear the bell. I'm afraid I prevented old Tom from ringing it. He tricked me that way yesterday. Mm-hmm. What a set-up you have down here. Furnishing board, plaster of Paris, silver solution, lamp-black, batter-rack. <laughs> One might almost think his gentlemen have been doing some quieting. <laughs> all right, I suggest you all come quietly. I've right, three other men waiting for you outside, so up the stairs in quick time, please. And so Tom the Taylor's coining establishment was discovered, and old Tom was sent to penal servitude. Now it's time for us to examine more closely the methods of the counterfeiter, and there's no better place to do this than in that morgue of criminal instruments, the Black Museum of Scotland Yard. This might interest you, Mr. Brooks. One of the earliest counterfeit coins. Ha. It's astounding that anyone should be taken in by that. Cut with a pair of scissors from a sheet of brass and silvered over, and pass over a shilling. The coiner's methods have certainly improved since those days. These coins in the next case, they're practically perfect. They are perfect. I know, don't tell me. They're pattern pieces. <laughs> a pattern piece. Hmm? In other words, a genuine piece of money from which the coiner takes his cast in plaster of Paris. So you see, you do have to have money to make money. And into that cast he pours whatever metal he uses. Solder, tin, bismuth, and of course, most of all, pewter. Yes, you may be surprised to know that the best foundation for a counterfeit coin is obtained from pewter beer mugs. In fact, whenever the theft of pewter pots is traced, it's tender one that the thief is in league with the coiners. A certain publican in Whitechapel, London, will vouch for that. My name's Bill Carey. I run the Green Man Pub down in Whitechapel. It's a fine old place with plenty of tradition, if you know what I mean. Though there's one tradition we don't keep with anymore. The pewter pot cleaning competition. You see, in the old days, George, the potman at the King's Head pub across the way, used to come over to the Green Man once a year, and we used to see who could clean the largest number of pewter pots in an hour. <laughs> I remember our last contest. It was about ten years ago on a Sunday morning. Go on, Billy. Go on, Billy. What's up with him, George? I'm going to use you anyway. Yes, I'll give him Bill. Bill's the winner again. That's two years running. Hooray! Oh, it was a lovely race, Bill. Thanks ever so for letting me come along. My, you two are certainly quick with your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Blimey, is that the right time? Oh, we can make the king's head. The boss will be furious. Oh, cheerio all. Bye, George. See you soon. We'll fix the date for the next contest. Yeah, Robert. Cheerio. 
Well, we never did have any more contests. When the Mitches and me comes to count the pots that night, as we always did after a big day, we found there were a dozen missing. <laughs> that was bad enough. Well, what was even worse was the number of phony two-shilling pieces and half-crowns we took over the counter for weeks to come. And undoubtedly, most of them came from the pewter pots that Bill and Jimmy had raced to clean on the previous Sunday. The pewter would be melted, poured into the mould taken from the pattern piece, the two sides of the cast being kept together by clamps of hoop iron to secure a firm impression, filed, edged, and continually checked to get as near as possible the weight of a true coin. And then would come the most important process of all, silvering. The process of silvering coins is very similar to that of plating knives, spoons, and forks. Into the vat is dipped what is called a battery rack. Uh, there is some over here, sir. Ah, yes, it's rather good specimen. Simply a long piece of thick wire bent into a series of twists and turns in order to hold about a dozen coins at a time, and made in such a way that no coin is touched by the wire in more than three places and all on the edge, these are well made. Whom did they belong to? Sidney Atway, sir, the master coiner of Fulham. Ah, yes, he did everything conscientiously. We might do far worse than study his methods, don't you think? We have a full case of his belongings over here. Because let's get acquainted with Mr. Sidney Atway, the conscientious coiner. scientific coiners of modern times. He approached the whole subject in a most artistic fashion. Coining to him was more a hobby than a profession. And to it he devoted all the loving care that some give to stamp collecting, others to photography, others still to bird watching. His real business was the pawning of articles bought cheaply at sales and auctions. Only if the pawnbroker offered a profit, of course. But he had many other interests as well, as we well know from his diaries and private papers. went to a cookery lecture today. An attractive young lady gave us a complicated recipe for old English trifles. Of all the English taverns in Paris, the following shops are those at which furniture may be had on hire. One, for removing surplus hair from the back of the neck. Two, the right treatment for headaches. Three, the proper ingredients for making a highly satisfactory mustard plaster. And four, a certain cure for sluggish liver. But it was from a brooch pinned to the lapel of his wife's coat that gave Sidney Atway the idea to start the activities for which he is famous. 
It was coronation year in London, and Mrs. Atway had stopped on her way home from shopping to buy one of those souvenir brooches that everyone was wearing that year. Her husband, being an extremely mean gentleman, as most crooks are, was furious when he found that she'd been spending the housekeeping money on herself. Hilda, what's that you've got pinned to your coat? Oh, oh, Sydney, don't be angry. I couldn't resist it. It's one of the souvenirs they're selling in honor of the coronation. I thought it looked rather nice. Don't you like it? Let me see it. Oh, now look what you've done. Why can't you keep your temper? You've torn my coat. Oh, why couldn't you let me unpin the brooch? I'd have shown it to you. Two sixpences on a pin. Yes. Y you see, they're bright new sixpences minted this year. How much did you pay for this? One and sixpence. So, you see, it only cost me sixpence, really, because the coins always will be worth their money. Get downstairs, wasting my money on trash like this. If ever I catch you buying yourself things out of the housekeeping funds again, I'll take a stick to your back. Oh, oh, you're horrible. I, I don't know why I said... One and six for two tenors on a pin. What a way to bit, though. What a way to make a profit. A few bright sixpences. A drill to make the holes and a nice-looking safety pin. Or why should there be real sixpences? Why not make my own? Sell them as souvenirs? Not claiming to them to be real money. Only one in ten suckers will ask whether it's genuine. And there's no trouble attached, as long as I don't pretend they're anything but I own make. Yeah. Yeah. Atway didn't stop at sixpences. He made shillings and half-crowns and sold them as coronation souvenirs. When asked to pay three shillings for a half-a-crown medal, the purchaser would usually pass over the money, saying, Oh, well, I can always use the coin if I'm hard up. But if he ever tried to use it as currency, he would soon discover his error. Having now got interested in the coining business, Sidney Atway went about learning the methods thoroughly. Whenever he came up against a particular snag in the processing of the metal into coins, he would write to one of the daily papers. To the editor, Evening Herald, Fleet Street, London. Dear sir, have any of your readers any useful hints and suggestions as to the best way to make an electric battery? If so... Perhaps you would be good enough to publish their letters in your correspondence column. To the editor, Daily Gazette, London. Dear sir, I hope you will publish this letter. I want to find out from any knowledgeable readers the simplest way to make solder from silver. There were generally numerous replies. Few people can resist the temptation to air whatever specialized knowledge they possess. And Sidney Atway's possessions in the Black Museum include a scrapbook full of newspaper articles and letters, all most helpful to him in his work. Of course, he bought the standard chemistry books as well and marked all the relevant passages. He evolved his own recipe for the silvering of coins. If any one of you are taking notes, I should perhaps mention that the process takes years of practice and many disappointments before it yields any reward. When the coins have been removed from the mold, I put them on battery racks of my own making and dip them into the vat. Coins made from Britannia metal, tin or pewter, are not dropped into acid before plating, but into a very strong and boiling, repeat, boiling, hot solution of pure caustic potash. I then scratch the coins with a small brush 
made specially for this purpose, and then plunge them straight into cyanide of silver solution at about 190 degrees Fahrenheit. An electric current from a battery is then run through the vat until the coins begin to receive a thin coating. Then I plate them in the ordinary way to give them a full amount of silvering required. And then on to the burnishing board. The burnishing board is a piece of wood on which the coins are set, being kept in place with pins and brushed over with an old scrubbing brush on which some ordinary lamp black has been applied. This process relieves the fake pieces of any undue brightness and consequently suspicion. Mr. Atbay used the seat of an ordinary wooden kitchen chair as his burnishing board. It's in the case in the Black Museum which contains his other paraphernalia. 17 bowls, one battery, two ladles, plaster of Paris, melting pot, plate of sand, brushes, drill, nine bottles of chemical, another battery made out of a three-pound jam jar, files, clamps, what else? Well, sir, there's some of the fake money that was found at his home when he was arrested. 200 half-crowns, 100 florins, 150 shillings, and 260. Not a collection. He certainly was coining money. And that's not counting the fake currency he must have put into circulation during his 17 years' run as a successful editor. A few more Sydney Atways and England would really be in danger of inflation. Yeah, a fascinating character. On his arrest, he turned to his captors with a disarming smile. Well, well, gentlemen, I hope you will tell the Royal Mint of my exploits. They should consider my career as a great compliment to themselves. After all, is not imitation the sincerest form of battery? examine the methods of making a counterfeit coin. What happens then? How does it get into your pocket? Or mine? When the coin is satisfied that he can get no nearer to the real thing, he wraps the coins in tissue paper, generally in bottles of a dozen, with a piece of paper between each coin to prevent jingling when they are being passed from hand to hand. The woman agent now takes the parcels and sells them to buyers either in public houses or in street corners. More than a bit of a jolly. Well, sir. Can I buy you one, Miss? I'll have the same, thanks very much. Make it two, Jolly. Oh, no. Jolly, I told it fast. Oh, I was being followed. I had to dodge around a bit. Got the stuff. What would I be here for if I hadn't? The price has gone up, though. Why? With a profit, you'll make up two more numbers. Thank you, sir. One and five. Aye. Right, right, huh? Give me one now. Give me some change, will you? Right, right, sir. Well, sir. Eight and seven change. Thanks. Of yeah, course, you don't think I'd find any funny business here, do you? You were saying the price has gone up, what, too? Well, I've got three packets of off-round, in each. It'll cost you ten shillings. That's four pounds, ten shillings, half a quid. Oh, I suppose I'll have to buy it. I've got four pots creamy for more funds. Here you are, it's ten bob. Something fun, eh? One, two, three, four, five. Oh, thanks, they're okay. Of course they are. I told you I wouldn't have tried any funny business in here, didn't I? <laughs> oh, yes, you're so honest. And now the buyer will pass on the fake currency to his employees, who in turn will pass it off on the shopkeepers and the general public. How? Well, there are several methods. For instance, a woman will go into a shoe shop carrying several parcels. She will pass some time selecting a suitable pair of shoes, and then she'll prepare the ground passing something else. Oh dear, oh dear, I have so much to carry. Uh, could you deliver the shoes? Uh, certainly, madam, but what address? 12 Blakely Road, Mrs. Adams. 
Oh, could your boy bring them in an hour's time? Otherwise, I shan't be there. Uh, very well, madam. The delivery boy turns up at 12 Blakely Road an hour later and is met by the woman just outside the gate. When she tells him that she is Mrs. Adams, he hands over the shoes to her and asks her to sign the receipt. Please. Janet Adams. There. How much do I owe you? 37 and sixpence, please, ma'am. <laughs> Mr. Silver, I'm afraid. Oh, and there's another shilling for yourself. Now, thank you, ma'am. Only when the delivery boy has the money over his employer do they realize that he has been given five or six false half-crowns in the cash. And, of course, there is no Mrs. Adams living at the address. After all, it's admitted that we are not as careful as we should be about the money we handle. And the opportunities for a swindler to pass over his counterfeits must be extremely numerous. Perhaps you're one of those who make it a rule always to count your change. But how many times do you inspect each coin to make sure that it's a genuine article? Not very often. Sometimes there is no apparent cause to inspect your change, as in the following incident, which occurs in various shapes and forms about once a day in different parts of the country, generally in public houses and quite often in the cocktail bars of expensive West End hotels. I say, Bowman. Yes, coming, sir. I'm
Thank you for joining us and enjoying our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Please remember to leave us a review and to follow us for frequent releases.